Blog Talk Radio. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Dr. Roger Wilson coming to you live from Florida Space Coast. My show is called Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. A very kind welcome to you this evening and thank you very much for joining me. Some of you are listening by podcast at blogtalkradio.com slash rwdvm while others are watching live. We actually have live video streaming at blogtv.com slash people slash RWDVM, whichever venue by which you're <clears throat> coming to us tonight, I welcome you and you know whether you're watching or listening, you are equally as welcome to participate. Our call-in number for today is one eight seven seven eight seven eight one four three five. That number again is one eight seven seven eight seven eight one four three five. We are here to answer your questions. The call is toll-free. You may ask me about anything veterinary, animal, or pet related, and I'm happy to answer it for you. One more time, that number is 1-877-878-1435. We'll be repeating that throughout the broadcast in case anybody has any questions, comments, or concerns they'd like to talk to me about this evening. If we don't have any calls to start with, I just wanted to remind you that we do have a YouTube show that is sort of our bread and butter show. That is um, every Sunday we post a new broadcast. It's only about eight to ten minutes, and it's a little bit more of a more formal show with graphics and all that sort of thing. So I invite you to check that out. All of these shows are available at our blog at webdvm.blogspot.com. Again, that's webdvm.blogspot.com. YouTube show, as well as the, broad t- the blog TV uh, live video cast that we're doing right now, as well as the live podcast we're doing right now uh, from Blog Talk Radio. We're just kind of all over the place tonight. So feel free to give me a call uh, as I move on to the news here. Again, it doesn't have to be related to anything I'm talking about this evening. Um, I always have a set of topics to cover, but of course, you may ask me about anything. Once again, that number is one eight seven seven eight seven eight one four three five. So let's talk about a little bit of news today. We've you know been a bit consumed with the BP oil spill as of late. That's kind of been the biggest news in animals, and it's really hard to let go because every day we're finding out new things. The big thing today is a couple of things about the oil spill. Number one, we're understanding that the toll on these uh, on on the seabirds in particularly. Uh, when we talk about pelicans and seagulls and a number of other kind of waterfowl that take, call the Gulf of Mexico their home, the, the toll is much larger than we're, than we're realizing. We talked about last year, or I'm sorry, we talked last week about the dead birds, the oiled birds being found, uh, just kind of scratching the surface. Um, of course, we were also talking about the dead uh, crabs and other sea life, fish, dead dolphins, sea turtles, what have you. Um, you know, the, what we're seeing, and, and the, the toll is just gigantic at this point. I mean, you can't even keep count anymore. But the toll is much larger than we actually realize because of the fact that all we're seeing is the tip of the iceberg with what we're seeing floating on the surface of the sea, floating dead, of course, and washing up on the shores. But when it comes to the birds specifically, I'm sure many people have seen on TV that we have these, uh, a lot of the birds, there's, there's animal rescue volunteers out there working so very hard to <clears throat> collect as many of these birds as they can, catch them in nets and bring them and scrub them and get the oil off and rehabilitate them. I don't know if you've seen some of the 
images on TV of these birds just struggling in the oil, unable to do anything, but, you know, barely open and blink their eyes to see past the oil. They're completely weighed down, unable to fly. They can barely walk. They certainly can't eat and find food. And they're basically slowly dying there until these volunteers, if they're lucky, show up. But what's happening is a couple of things to think about here. Um, these birds get rehabilitated. Uh, the ones that do survive, a lot of them actually do die uh, because of the, the shock of being completely oiled, uh, then combined with the shock of being handled by a person which they consider a predator. The stress of that, birds are very, very susceptible to stress. It, is, uh, it affects them uh, very, very profoundly physiologically, more so than it affects us, and we know what it could do to us. So they have that to contend with, but here's the other sad reality is that birds often, a lot of these species we're talking about, waterfowl in particular, many of them are paired for life, so they find their mate and they're mated for life. So while they may have survived, there's a very high probability that their mate that uses the same nesting grounds also, um, you know, has perished. And, and that while they may get rescued, uh, the mate is nowhere to be found. So you have, number one, the inability to reconnect with the mate. Many of them will not connect with a mate ever again. And there goes the procreation and sort of um, uh, propagation of the species. You know, they're being decimated in huge numbers uh, because of all this oil man-made disaster, and now, you know, the ones that, that do survive it have a very low probability of reproducing and having young. The other problem is, say, that by some miracle, both of the mates are rescued and, and rehabilitated, um, you know, or one has, you know, ended up in oil and the other one's out there, not, not saturated in oil by some miracle, and, and let's say they find each other again. Well, guess what? Their nesting grounds, the only place that they know to go and, and do their mating and nesting and raising their young, um, is decimated. It's covered in oil. They, it, it no longer exists. There's so many of these places, these natural estuaries, these natural sanctuaries for these birds that are just gone. Um, so, you know, we're ultimately going to see a, to a, a toll on birds. I will say many of these species will go extinct, if not uh, face major extinction threats. Um, certainly with uh, the sea turtles, we're talking about many different species that uh, call the, the Gulf their home. Five of the seven sea turtle species out there um, are prevalent in the Gulf, and, and most of those are threatened species as it is. And, and they, in particular, uh, they have very specific nesting grounds. They go back to the place they were born to lay their eggs and, and procreate and, and set up their nest. And, uh, you know, there's reports of oil uh, or turtles swimming through oil trying to get back to their nesting grounds. Rescuers are trying to pick them up, clean them up. Um, you know, ones that have already laid their nest before the oil, uh, they're trying to seek out these nests and, and take the eggs and, and bury them elsewhere. A lot of work is being done, but unfortunately it's not going to be enough and we're going to see you know, major, major issues. So that's number one. You know, um, uh, of course, my area of interest is the animal, so I'm following that very closely, animal wildlife updates on the Gulf uh, oil spill. So, the other big news today is that, you know, we had, I guess, what appeared to be big progress collecting 28,000 barrels of oil a day, um, some of it being collected to be processed, some of it being burnt off. Um, and, of course, you know, there were still somewhere between 45,000 and 60,000 barrels a day altogether, meaning that maybe better than half of the oil was being collected. Well, today, 
a robot, one of the robots that was working, you know, down in that depth uh, on the uh, the wellhead, actually knocked the cap off. So at least for a while there, uh, they had just mass quantities of oil just spewing out. And actually at the surface, they saw a significant increase in the, in the oil that was collecting there. So big setback today with BP. We don't know where that's going to go. Big concern, though, because, you know, we're still talking early to mid-August at the very best that they're going to have those relief wells um, drilled out. And that really is our only hope for actually stopping this for good. So the, the disaster continues, and, and um, I don't want to rag on that, that too, too much. I have been spending a lot of time on this. But um, I'd like to move on to what the topic of this show really is tonight. And, and it's, it's a big problem that uh, we're, we see this time of year, particularly here in the southern states, is animals, in particular dogs, uh, overheating. You know, of course, here in Florida, where I live, we're starting to hit you know, high temperatures. It's not unusual to see 96, 98 degrees with 100% humidity in the middle of the day, very hot conditions. Of course, our dogs are walking around with natural fur coats. And to begin with, they sort of have a handicap there. And I just want to talk about preventing a serious problem in dogs that we see this time of year. And it's not just here in the southern states. It can get really hot in uh, the northern latitudes as well this time of year. We're well into June here, you know, verging on July. And I grew up in New Jersey, and, man, it was, there were some unbearable days there as well. I, I recall very, 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 very fondly some of how hot it can get up there. So <clears throat> proof in the pudding is uh, I was watching the Yankee game the other day, and you know they were hitting temperatures of 97 degrees with very high humidity. So this is something for everybody all over to heed, and there's you know very important things. Number one, number one, number one, number one. Do not leave dogs in the car. Um, certainly, you if if you have the windows closed, you know obviously you understand how hot it can get in the car, and in a matter of minutes that can cause heat stroke. Think of a person locked in a car in 90-degree weather or 95, 98-degree weather, and there's no windows open, and you have the greenhouse effect going on, and it, gets, it can reach temperatures of 130 degrees in no time at all. Well, a person is actually more equipped to handle something like that because of the fact that we have sweat glands. And what happens is what we do first is we begin sweating and coating our skin in perspiration. And that perspiration is evaporated off by the body as it heats up, and that actually enables the body to release heat. And that's one of the big reasons we sweat. Of course, we release toxins as well, but that's a whole other story. Well, dogs are very different because what you see with dogs is that they really don't have sweat glands. They have a very limited amount of sweat glands in the feet, um, and they vent off heat through panting off of their tongue but they really don't have any real mechanism other than that by which they can expel heat. Combine that with the fact that they have a natural coat of insulation, um, you're talking the potential to overheat very, very, very bad. So when I'm looking outside, and I'm, you know, uh, today I'm out running, and it's like probably 6 o'clock, 6 p.m. It's still 90, 93, 94 degrees out you know, here in Florida at 6, 6 p.m. The sun is still out. It's very strong. And I see this person riding their bike with their Doberman running alongside of them. The Doberman's tongue is hanging out so profoundly, it like, looks like it's about to hit the floor. And I'm thinking to myself, this dog's going to drop. You know, why are people doing this to their dog? If you want your dog to have exercise, of course we want to exercise, and there's a f couple of things you can do on hot days like this. Number one, you can either consider getting up at dawn and you want to take them for a jog then. That's a much safer time to do it. You know, maybe 
before or just at when the sun is starting to rise, maybe that first hour after sunrise. <clears throat> That's one thing you can do if you're an early riser. If you're not an early riser, you can also consider running them around, throwing the fetch ball, going for a jog at dusk, you know, as you're a clo- uh, approaching sundown. I would venture to say that, you know, if you're in a southeast subtropical type of climate or, you know, even southwest, it gets really, really hot. You guys don't have the same humidity to contend with that we do, but certainly, you know, you're talking temperatures over 100 degrees quite regularly this time of year. You know, maybe wait till well after sundown. Wait till the sun's been down for a while because a lot of that heat is retained in the air. But be very, very careful because dogs are dropping all over the place. The local emergency clinic here deals with these things every day. People just not understanding that dogs have this major sensitivity to overheating. So that's one thing, you know, to consider. Number one, do not leave them in the car. Okay, I'm just going to reiterate that. Don't leave them in the car, not even with the windows cracked or the windows down. That car can still get horrifically hot. If you're going to go somewhere, you need to go somewhere. The car needs to be parked. Dogs are not allowed inside. Don't take your dog. Leave them home, at home, safe, inside in the air conditioning, or at least um, if, it, if you leave them outside, let them have access to a nice shady area because, mark my words, they will seek out that shade. Um, so other precautions you can take. If you're talking about spitz breeds, so um, let me just explain what a spitz breed is. Spitz breed is like a... Um, uh, an Arctic type breed. They tend to have very dense hair coats. Let me give you some examples. The Alaskan Malamute, the Siberian Husky, um, the Shiba Inu is a little, little uh, spitz breed. If, if you own dogs like this that have these sort of Arctic kind of coats, let me just tell you something. A, temp- a comfortable temperature for one of these kinds of dogs, these spitz type breeds, is 17 degrees with snow on the ground and rolling around in it. That's what's comfortable for these guys. So when you have them in a summer climate, and especially, you know, in a southern climate, you know, you're talking, that outside is very, very hot and uncomfortable for these dogs. And, you know, I don't want to tell people that live in Florida or Georgia or Alabama, Louisiana, Texas, Arizona, you know, north, you know southern states that work at very hot, Arkansas even. I don't want to tell you you can't get a spitz breed. I don't think it's, you know, the wisest thing. Um, but, you know, let's face it, some people have to live, you know, in these areas or grew up here and have an affinity or a love for one of these breeds. They want to have one. Okay. All right. Fine. I'll, I'll, I will, I will, you know, certainly sympathize with your ability to want to get a certain breed of dog. But let's take some major precautions. So as soon as the weather starts to warm up, um, so, you know, in, in southern states, we're talking like, uh, like April, May, <laughs> um, I think it's a very good idea to have these dogs shaved and have them shaved tight. You can actually get these really cool haircuts where they actually taper the hair, um, it, you know, keep it really tight on the body, but taper it up to the to the head, and, and you're going to still have kind of a fuzzy head. You know, it can be clipped down a little bit, but the body's nice and cool. Um, another thing you can do for exercise for these dogs, a lot of Spitz-type breeds will actually enjoy the water if you get them accustomed to it at a young age. So swimming is a really nice activity. Uh, that you can do on the weekends. I'm swimming with my son and my Labrador all the time. It's a fun thing to do. It's a fun thing for the family. Uh, my Labrador, we act, my wife actually regularly shaves him uh, during the summer months because he's got a you know very thick Labrador type coat. Labradors are bred for you know hunting waterfowl in the middle of of winter. You know, and icy cold water is actually you know comfortable for them. So certainly you want to be careful with breeds like that as well. Golden Retrievers. Uh, you want to just be be very careful. So fun in the water, playing in the water is acceptable at any time. Consider having their coats shaved down 
if you have them outside, always leave them an access to a place where they can get shade, either a big shady tree, an out, an out, um, you know, a, a, an out roofing of your, of your, uh, of your house, an awning, something of that nature, a doggy door maybe, just so they can get in and out and escape the heat when they're feeling hot. Because believe me, they do suffer, um, and they can't tell you. But you know, you see a dog with his hang tongue hanging out so low that it looks like it's ready to hit the floor. That's a pretty good indication. That dog is about to overheat. So be very careful. Lastly, always, always leave them access to water. Um, a dog's water bowl should never, ever be dry. Um, you know, you shouldn't ever wait till they're seeking out water, till they're going to the toilets or drinking out of your uh, water glass sitting on the coffee table. They should always have access to water because, number one, they need to stay hydrated. Uh, the more active dogs especially, we want to keep them hydrated. It's good for the kidneys. It's good for their overall health, good for circulation, good for their skin and hair coat. But also it's a very, very big cooling measure. And it's one way that they can keep from overheating. So if they're outside, they're seeking shade. You also want to have a big bowl of water out there for them. Cool that tongue. Their tongue is one of the primary ways that they vent off heat. So they can pant and they can stick their tongue in water. Um, you want to avoid them drinking pool water, uh, drinking chlorine and other chemicals in the pool are not really good for them, so you want to be very careful with that. Uh, but, uh, you know, really big problem. I can't tell you how many cases of heat stroke I have treated in dogs. So let's talk about signs of heat stroke. Uh, let's say you're playing around with your dog. You've even taken precautions. Uh, things are seem to be going well, but, you know, suddenly the dog doesn't seem to be doing well. One of the first things you'll see as they're starting to, you know, get towards that uh, threshold where, you know, they're going to become hyperthermic, meaning that the core body temperature is getting so high that it's dangerous. Number, number one is that you're going to see them start laying down a lot. You know, no matter, dogs have such a, such an excitement and, and such a determination to play that they're going to try to fight through the bad feelings. But one of the things you'll start seeing is they'll start, they'll start dropping down and going sternal and just, you know, like really, really panting hard. Um, and, you know, you'll see their drool starting to come out. Some of them will actually start to vomit as they start to reach that threshold. They'll drink water, they'll puke it up, they'll drink water, they'll puke it up, that sort of thing. Um, as things progress, they can collapse. They can start to go into seizures. All right, you see any of these things, one of the first things you want to do is douse them in water. I mean, just, you know, get a hose, douse them in water, get them out of the sun, get them indoors as promptly as possible, and then, you know, try to have the presence of mind because, you know, it could be life and death just getting them into the car and, you know, schlepping it down to the vet. So if you suspect any of these signs are hyperthermia or overheating, uh, once you douse them down in water, get them in a cool place, you can also fill up bowls of uh, rubbing alcohol and dip their pads in it. As I said, they do have a limited amount of apocrine sweat glands in their feet and they can vent off heat. And one of the things that you can do, because it has a, a much lower boiling point than water, alcohol will actually pull heat out of the pads. So you can start soaking the, the pads um, in, in rubbing alcohol. Really good idea. So it's always a good idea to have that on hand. Once the dog seems to be stable, you know, so not, there's no risk of seizure, there's no twitching going on, the dog uh, seems, you know, not, not, no vomiting or convulsions or anything of that nature, um, seems okay and stable enough to get them to the veterinarian. You still want to get them to the veterinarian because that overheated dog would really benefit from cooled down intravenous fluids for, you know, a good hour or two. Um, and then also, of course, other supportive care if necessary. Uh, so, you know, again, signs to look for. 
Number one, extreme panting, uh, drooling, starting to, uh, you know, going from a determined play to making the effort to lay down, lay down, take a step, lay down. Certainly if they're recumbent on their right or left side, panting of that, of that nature, get them inside, cool them down, douse, douse them down with water, get them in a cool area. Uh, again, the next step as far as the threshold is concerned, if they you know, start vomiting on you, um, that is we're heading into a uh, potentially serious situation. Um, certainly, you know, douse them in water, like I said, but I would take the extra step of dipping the pads in rubbing alcohol. And certainly if you see seizures, you know, now we're in a high danger zone. You need to cool that dog down. I always think it's a good idea to have a rectal thermometer on hand. They sell the, the baby thermometers at the pharmacy where, uh, you know, you, you get yourself a temp in five to ten seconds. The new ones are really good. And, um, you know, you can gauge the temperature of your dog by taking a rectal temperature. You can use KY jelly or uh, petroleum jelly to, to lube it and, and get a temp. You never want to see that temp above 102.5. You start to see, you know, 103, 1035, 104. That's getting pretty dangerous. 105 or above, we are in a big danger zone. You want to be really careful and be really aggressive about cooling that dog down, soaking those pads, and as soon as he's stable and not twitching, seizuring, that sort of thing, get him to a veterinarian as quickly as possible to he can get some fluid therapy and other supportive care to get the temperature down. Very serious about this, guys. I can't tell you enough how common this is. The latest one I saw was a boxer, actually. And, you know, boxers don't have thick hair coats. These are short-coated dogs. Um, this boxer, you know, wasn't even trumping around too much. The owners got home, and the dog was running around. They were throwing the ball a little bit. It was 5.30 in the afternoon, of course, on a hot Florida summer day. And this dog just hit the ground, was doing what I was talking about, that really high-level, fast, fast uh, panting, um, reached a point where it just physically couldn't get up and was starting to do the twitches. It was starting to get twitchy, which means there was a preliminary, uh, that, that's the, the precursor to a, a, a pretty nasty grand mal seizure. And that's when things start to get very serious. So luckily, these owners had the good sense to actually douse the dog down with water, get him inside, and, and, and call us. Now, we were able to give them over-the-phone instructions to dip the pads because they didn't know that. They, they just happened to thankfully have rubbing alcohol on board, um, so they were able to, you know, go ahead and, and uh, do that. And then we instructed them, you know, as soon as you get this under control, by all means, uh, the twitching has stopped. Get the dog in here. We gave him uh, intravenous fluids. I gave him some anti-nausea medication because he did vomit a couple of times on the way over. But this dog lived because these people were smart enough to recognize the signs. And, of course, they learned from that mistake. Folks, this was just like 15 minutes of play with this dog, a short-coated dog. So, you know, case in point of what can happen when they overheat. So, um, you know, that's pretty much our news for today and mostly what I wanted to talk about. We have about seven minutes left. I'm going to give you guys one more opportunity to give me a call if you have any questions, comments about anything we talked about here today, one 878 1435 Again, that's 1-877-878-1435. Whether you're watching me on blog TV or you're listening to me live on the podcast, you can call either way. Any takers? Anyone on the queue here? Haven't had a lot of callers lately. A lot of, lot of, uh, lot of viewers and a lot of listeners, especially, uh, especially a lot of listeners. We've been, we've been having quite a few listeners, and uh, that's, that number is getting bigger every day, but it seems like you know, the more listeners we get, the less callers we're getting. I guess people like to just sit back and listen. Maybe it's because I've been talking about BP so much, and 
Uh, just kind of bringing that up. Anyone ready to call here? Okay. Well, one last thing I want to close with, and again, as I'm talking, you're still welcome to call one eight seven seven eight seven eight one four three five. It is toll free. Um, all this BP stuff, and what, one last thing I want to remind everybody about, but all this BP talk has really overshadowed another oil spill that happened in this country. Uh, this oil spill happened uh, in Rip Creek, uh, which is in Utah. Rip Creek is actually a wetland wildlife um, uh, re- you know, refuge where there's a lot of species of birds, and it's a very environmentally sensitive area. It feeds into the Jordan River which then feeds into, uh, it's one of the tributaries of the Great Salt Lake. And everybody's heard of the Great Salt Lake, also home to a number of wildlife species, very environmentally sensitive. What happened was Chevron, Texaco, had a pipe burst, and they spilled 33,000 barrels of oil into Rip Creek, which then ended up in the Jordan River. And there is a big risk that this could eventually make its way uh, via the current to the, um, the Great Salt Lake, folks. And that's, that's a big problem. And it's overshadowed because of all this BP stuff. This would have made big news if not for the BP situation. You type in oil spill on Google, you don't get the Rip Creek, Utah oil spill. You get pages and pages of BP stuff. But, you know, make no mistake, there is simultaneously another major oil spill in this country that is also killing wildlife. And despite all that, despite, uh, you know, all of the problems that we're seeing become of this, people losing their livelihoods, the Gulf Coast that's already, you know, still barely recovering from Katrina and bad economic circumstances because of the, the recession, all kinds of jobs being lost, tourism revenue lost, fishing revenue lost, um, all of this, and, and now there's another oil spill in Utah, and we're seeing quite clearly the dangers of relying solely on oil uh, for energy, that we can see how important it is to move on and, and seek other safer alternatives for energy and really make an effort to invest in that and, and stop being so addicted to oil. Despite that, a judge in New Orleans, um, I don't have his name available, but you can, you can Google it, a federal judge issued an injunction against the six-month moratorium on new drilling in the Gulf. Now, let me just explain quickly what this six-month moratorium means. All new drilling, so... Drilling that has not begun yet or has barely begun. Now, there's 3,600 rigs in the Gulf. Of those 3,600, the new drilling is only 33 of them. And people are having an absolute fit about this, even people on the Gulf Coast that are just suffering under this thing of this oil. So we have all this going on as a consequence of oil spills. And the president and his administration are saying, listen, we need to halt this new drilling for a moment. Existing drilling okay, go ahead, we're going to come back and inspect you, um, but, you know, you've been existing and going for a long time, and, um, you know, we're going, to, we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt at the moment, but you 33 that are a brand-new contract, wait a second, we have to figure out what happened with this BP explosion, we have to figure out how we can better fix these things in deep water, and then based on that information, we can take the proper precautions, make the proper inspections of these rigs, and, um, and then we can resume. He said very clearly he hit the pause button. He did not say that it's going to be you know, over or ended. He hit the pause button, and, and that's still not good enough. So the federal judge issued an injunction against the moratorium over a lawsuit filed by, um, some, I guess, some ferry boat union that, that ferries people to and from these oil rigs that feel that it's hurting their job situation. And uh, the administration right now is having to 
um, you know, push back on that, appeal it, and, and make sure that their moratorium goes through. It's unbelievable. Um, you have politicians, all kinds of politicians, having a fit about this moratorium. I think they're crazy. I think we, in, in, in the wake of two major oil spills in our country happening simultaneously, the BP one with no end in sight, it's not unreasonable to want to hit the pause button on new contracts only until we figure out, you know, number one, what went wrong? How do we prevent it? And if anything like this ever happens again, how do we fix it so it doesn't go on indefinitely as this one's going on with no end in sight? All right, folks, I'm going to call it for tonight. I uh, thank you all for listening. If you're watching from Blog TV, I thank you very much for watching. I will join you again next week, and there's my cue. I have 90 seconds left. Blog TV, I thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. I'm going to go ahead and stop my recording right there. And um, Blog Talk Radio, thank you very much for listening, and uh, I will be back with you next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.